Hey guys, this is Brett Ernst. I play Louis LaRusso Jr., Cobra Kai. And uh, if you don't listen to this podcast, I'll torch your car. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And I am Tom. And we are back with another interview, and I think Tom found a BFF. Uh, maybe? (laughs) Understatement? (laughs) So, today's interview, we spoke with Mr. Brett Ernst, comedian, actor, uh, wrestling aficionado, uh, he played Cousin Louie, Louis LaRusso from Cobra Kai. Everybody's favorite shit heel on that show. <laughs> He's everybody's favorite something. Um, <laughs> dude, okay, so, you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't too familiar with his, uh, you know, his stand-up and some of his uh, uh, previous work prior to Cobra Kai. And, you know, researching for our interview, I, I, w- I fell into a rabbit hole, man, of, of all these... Uh, clips on YouTube of his uh, different sets that he's done and, you know, just different jokes. And it's all hilarious stuff. I don't know why this man isn't, like, writing his own show on television. I know. I mean, this guy has just led a fascinating life and had an amazing, amazing career. Yeah. Yeah. Another understatement. You know, it's, it's just uh, he had so much uh, fascinating stories. Uh, you guys gushed about wrestling, and I'm over here like, I, I, I recognize that name. Yeah, Roddy Piper, I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I'm sitting here with my my chin in both my hands, and I'm just thinking, tell me more stories, Mr. Brett. Oh, yeah, th- this is the uh, insert that um, uh, Jeremy Renner, right? Okay, yeah. You, you seen that gif where he's got his hands on his uh, knuckles like you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that, that how I you. felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, just a, a hilarious guy. Uh, sounds like he's obviously lived quite a life, you know, m- kind of moving up and down the East Coast. Uh, him and I got to talking a little bit about freestyle music and breakdancing. And um, so I, I think, you know, he's kind of like just one of those guys we were both able to relate to in one way or another. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very cool guy. Yeah. So this is the interview. Hey, Tom, we got Brett on the call, finally. <laughs> hey, hey, it's great to hear from hey, you. Hey, guys. Sorry about all that, man. No, 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 no. I think it's just Skype being Skype. Yeah, Skype can be an asshole. Yeah, I know, because I try to call him sometimes for my podcast, and it's just off. Oh, you have a podcast as well? Yeah, we've been on for about four years. Uh, well, all right, I definitely want to hear about that in the interview. Okay. Um, well, we'll we'll just kind of uh, get into it. Tom, do you want to kick off with the, the first question? All right. Now you have an extensive career in the world of stand up com- uh, of stand up comedy, and I've got a friend, uh, Tommy. He's a fellow podcaster, and he's making a little bit of headway in that uh, that area. But so far, it's just mainly been on a local level. What kind of advice would you give to Tommy or really any anybody who wants to get into the world of stand-up as far as how to, to, to succeed? You know, what kind of work habits, what kind of uh, writing habits would you recommend? Things like that. Well, 
the key is just keep getting up and keep getting up as much as possible. It's, it's that 10,000 hour rule times 10. Oh, geez, um, yeah. As, as far as writing goes, some people, I, I choose to write on stage. Like, I don't really sit down at a desk and a pen and figure out what I'm going to say. I just talk it out. Um, there are some comedians that, that write themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it takes a while. Just be patient. And, again, that 10,000-hour rule, the, the problem with stand-up is when you're first starting out, you got to reach that five minutes at a time. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. You know what I mean? But the more you get up, you know, the more situations you deal with. Like when I started, I just did every room possible. But I was in uh, Florida for three years and decided to move to New York, and I was in New York for a minute and then moved to L.A. So you got to kind of be in New York and L.A., I think, for a while until you establish yourself. But, you know, things are different now with the Internet. So, you know, as long as you're getting up, I, I try to get up at least two or three times a night, five times a week, wherever I could get up. Anywhere, wow. any place. That was my goal. So basically... So it's all stage time. Stage time's everything. It just sounds like, you know, work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's being a stand-up is, is a lifestyle. And <sighs> people... A lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's, um, you're on the road, you got to go to mics, it's a scene, it's, it's a way of thinking, it's, it's a counterculture, it's a culture within itself. Um, but, you know, if it's something you want to do, you have to commit to it. It's not a part-time thing. You know, I meet people that get up once or twice a month or will do mm. once every two months and you, you got you to gotta keep getting up. And if the area you're in doesn't have enough mics, then you need to go somewhere that does. Because there gotcha. are other cities like Chicago's phenomenal. Portland has a decent scene. They um, do, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of places, you know, uh, in America outside of New York and LA. But those are really, you know, the two spots where you wanna you wanna work. When was it? Did you decided to get into, uh, you know, stand up comedy? Um, I write as let's see, it was nineteen ninety six, ninety seven is when I got into it. Right when I got out of college, it was just something I always wanted to do. One of the things about the 80s that I always look back and kind of remember is that that was almost like the peak of stand-up comedy. I mean, you had so many great comedians out there doing just amazing work. Uh, Who would you say your main influences were? Well, when I was a kid, I would definitely say watching Eddie Murphy's Delirious was Mm. the one that really blew me away. And then, of course, Dice Clay and Sam Kinison when I was a kid. Um, As I've gotten older, you know, you take something from everybody. It's, I've been doing it 21 years now. So, you know, there's guys that I work with that are my closest friends and guys I'm friends with and guys that I, I look up to and respect. But, you know, it's weird. It's like, uh, it's like working at Disneyland after a while, you know. It's like the first time you, you, you get into it, you're more, you really don't know what kind of path it's going to take, you know. Uh, and then you, you, you get around certain comedians and then, you know, people you looked up to, you're disappointed. Some people, you know, like I, I'm very good friends with Dice, you know, um, but he was a childhood idol. But then you, you start to learn from these guys, you know what I mean? Being at the comedy store, that's the, that's the reason why I moved to L.A. was the comedy store. And being around those guys, you see the guys that you grew up watching, they're still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, and guys you would see on A and E at the improv and then you know, in the nineties when the Comedy Central was like 
booming, you know, the golden age of that. And you just, you just learn and grow from it. So, you know, it's usually before you get in stand-up, you really are influenced, and then once you get in it, you just learn from it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, no, that, that totally makes sense. Uh, what can you tell us about your involvement with the Wild West, yeah, the Wild West Comedy Show? Um, it's a documentary. It came out in late. We did a 30 city tour. It was me, uh, Sebastian, Mascalco, Christian Capolulo, Amen, Amen, Vince Vaughn. And we had guests like John Favreau and Peter Dunsley and Justin Long and Dwight Yoakum. And it was a road documentary about us on the road and kind of like a li- the comic lifestyle and stuff we go through. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a good thing to be a part of, man. It was a lot of fun. It was, I had known a lot of those guys, you know, because we all grew up together in stand-up, and it was just going on tour with your buddies, you know? It was like spring break for 30-year-olds. So that's like... <laughs> <laughs> and that was the same one where you had the set where you talked about roller skating? Yeah, yeah. Thank God they let me do that, because I, I couldn't pay for the rights for that song, or nobody would ever shit. I was about to so, ask, uh, did, did you ever get into, like, b-boying or anything? Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I was... When you grew up in New Jersey, was, you know, right over the bridge, man. I grew up in Passaic and Patterson and in their early to mid-80s. That's all, that's all that was around there, man. That's all, we didn't know there was anything else, you know. And then before America got it, it was New York's, you know. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, yeah, man, I was, I was all into that, man. That, that was definitely one of my favorites. You probably hear that a lot. But incorporating that song, you know, it, <laughs> I think I tuned in even more. And then you kind of doing the you know yeah. the, the character of the, the the kid that knows all the moves I think was was the topper there. Yeah, with that uh, that actually was a Wallington Skating Center in Wallington, New Jersey. But the song I used to really skate to like East Tomorrow would be White Lines. I used to love that song. But that song "Don't Stop the Rock" it was a band called Freestyle. That came out in like '88. That went after Bambada was like early '80s, like '81, '82, '83. Playing a rock, you know. I used yeah. to like Planet Patrol, Play That Channel Risk, Twilight 22, all that stuff, man. That's all I grew up on, dude. That's all I knew. And freestyle music, which I think is a genre not many people get into, but like Judy Torres and Expose, Tremere, I all mean, that shit, man. Well, I well, the, the, the king of freestyle, Stevie B. Stevie B, phenomenal. Yeah. He's in Miami, dude. I love Stevie B. Yeah, I um I had the opportunity to see him just last year. He uh, he came to Portland with uh, Expose, Jet, you know, a bunch of the the throwback, the freestyle is basically what they were here to perform. Did you say the Jets? Yes. <laughs> it was like the family from like uh, yeah yeah the Pacific Islands or something, right? It was so That's them. Things. Yeah, yeah. I think there was maybe three sisters and one I brother. Found out. That that showed up. I got a crush on you. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, it was it was a good time though. That, that was the first time I saw Stevie B uh, in concert. Um, but you know, kind of you know, I tried break dancing back in the day, but that was my jam too. Uh, in your eyes, you know, party your body, uh, spring love, yeah, obviously. Yeah, look look at you. Yeah, well, that, that that came that came a little little after. You know, it's funny though. I was like. You know, I used to try and get into the graffiti part of it. Like, in the special um, that I did, that I put online, that backdrop I designed, but my buddy actually had to burn it. I couldn't I couldn't get it right. My, my, my friend had to do it, but we designed it. 
my name, but I used to get to the graffiti aspect of it, and you know, and the break, the dancing part. I loved. I could never, I could never DJ though. Oh, I see. I, I had like four or five close friends that that could just mix their face off. Actually, the one, the guy that did uh, DJ Lux, that um, I credit him in the special because he was uh, I grew up with that kid. He was actually my little brother's best friend. Oh, that's nice. But yeah, man, back in the day when they were, you know, using records. You know who's an amazing DJ is um, Russell Peters. Really? You know, the he comedian? DJed? The comedian? Oh, oh, my God, dude. He's phenomenal, yeah. I would go up to his house, and he's a big freestyle dude, man. And, you know, his home is no joke. And he would have, like, 15-inch woofers in the wall. And we would go up there late at night and just spin, like, old, old freestyle shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw him in Portland here, too, uh, a long time ago. So that, that that was like uh, the people listen to that music. It was like in, in between hip hop and disco, but it was mostly like Italians, Puerto Ricans, a lot of Latinos listen to that stuff. And Italians, we, we used to call it like I rock music. Oh, interesting! A lot of, a lot of the Guidos would drive around mm-hmm. <laughs> in their Monte Carlos. <laughs> yeah, they call it Guido freestyle. I love it. Among other types, I like all. I really do like all kinds of music, but yeah, you know, it's just that was the genre: hip hop, um, freestyle, and uh, that's the music I grew up around in the disco. Did you ever hear that Pitbull version of Spring Love? Nah. Yeah, I I, I didn't like it. I, I probably did. It's one of those where he should have just left it alone. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Now, I consider myself uh, a, a lapsed wrestling fan, so when I was uh, kind of skimming over the internet uh, trying to learn a little bit about you, I found out that you were actually a commentator on MTV's Wrestling Society X. Do you have any kind of stories about that experience? Because I, I am always fascinated, not necessarily about r- the event of wrestling, but the behind-the-scenes stories and in the real world of wrestling. Do you have any uh, stories like that? Well, I'm a huge mark, dude. And my, my Same here, yeah. My grandfather grew up. Uh, he was part of the, like, you know, back when they had the territories. My grandfather was involved with the Dennis James uh, promotions oh. up in up in New York. And yeah, he, yeah. He, he's the one that got me into it when I was a little kid. And he used to always sit in the ringside. And this is before Joe Frazier, but they used to call him Smokey Joe. He'd have a cigar. He'd be like, hey, Smokey Joe at ringside. You know, and he would sit there and... There was an Italian champion back then that he used to always jump in the ring and protect, but he was always involved in that. So when I was a little kid, man, um, you know, I was huge, but I was more into like Georgia Championship Wrestling before it became World Championship Wrestling, but like yeah. with Gordon Sully and, you know, Kevin Sullivan and those guys and the Purple Haze and uh, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And so when I had, uh, when I had came from Montreal, you know, I had a little bit of heat around me back then. And MTV was, when they were still doing videos and stuff, was looking to do the show. And my manager called me in. He's like, listen, I don't know if you're going to want to do this. My agent, uh, but MTV is doing this wrestling show. I said, hell yeah, man. I was going to so say, how I can you pass that off? And we, well, they, well, to them, they didn't think, they didn't know that I'm, I'm a huge, you know. So we, we went in and I started interviewing with the company. It was a lot of guys that did like, I think, XPW. Okay. And... They came up with the concept, and the network wanted me to do it. I wanted to do it. They were nervous, but then, you know, I was throwing out Bob Backlund and Crossface Chicken Wing references. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this guy knows wrestling. 
And dude, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. And the, the thing was, the back behind the scenes stuff is being a comedian. I, the only people that stand ups I find are similar to, uh, as far as the culture wise, as far as the lifestyle wise, are country western singers and professional wrestlers. If you were to hear these conversations, you know, we're all live performers. We're all. There, there are 10 different circuits going on where guys better to get paid. Like, you would hear wrestlers say, hey, look, there's a matchup in, you know, Modesto. And the promoter only pays $50 a match. And the guy's like, you know, yeah, that's great. You mind if I ride with you? My car doesn't work. So those are pretty much the same conversations you hear with comics and country singers. Because country singers in, in themselves, you know, they write, produce their own music. They have circuits, you know. There's a lot of dues paying as live performers, it's not a lot like, you know, what you see now, there's a lot of internet comics and, you know, studio musicians. But wrestling is one of those things you can't fake. And I know that sounds ironic, but you can't fake it. That makes sense. Is that the word ironic? No, it sounds, uh, whatever, you know, because <laughs> it is, people say it's fake, but you can't fake it. Like, there's a lot of time and effort and, uh, skill that goes into it. And we had some damn good wrestlers on, on that. You know? We had uh I think Roman Reigns was, was, was on it. Really? And then uh my favorite Colt Cabana was on it. Um, oh yeah, very underrated. He played a dude named Matt Classic. Yeah, Colt Cabana's great. And then um New Jack was on was there. Just incredible. We had some good ones, man. Vampiro, um X Pac was there. All right, now this is the Mark and me speaking, but is New Jack as scary in real life as I'd imagine he would be? Uh, you know what? Yeah, he's an intimidating dude, man. I'm not going to talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of order around him with that. Uh, you know, from what I gathered, though, he was a real dude. It wasn't like... Well, doesn't he have like something like at, at least two kills as a bounty hunter or something messed up like that? You know, that's that's the rumor. I know he did stab a guy in the ring. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, I've seen that footage. That is not easy to watch. But you know, I didn't really get I didn't really get that close to him. There was other wrestlers I was close with because he, he did our pilot. He did our first episode. Um Vic Grimes was another one. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, the people there, uh it's crazy, man. Like everybody's so Everybody, they're just like a family there. It's almost like a circus. I can't, you know, and you have some egos, but like I said, it's like hanging out at the comedy store. It's just, <laughs> so and any type of those types of professions, you're going to deal with a group of misfit toys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the fans were kind of jerk off, you know, I'm not going to lie. Some of the <laughs> wrestling fans were like fucking awful. <laughs> you honestly, it's been my experience that you get that with every kind of fan, whether they're movie fans uh, comic book fans, music fans, you you have the vocal minority. I I've noticed. Um, yeah, it's but it's it's also the I don't know for some reason they simply are establishing them themselves by I never respond to anything really. I don't really care. Like I, I look, you can't. I don't really look at my comments. Well, one of my favorite quotes is it's and and I believe it. It's none of my business what you think about me, and it's not. Yeah. You have every right to say I suck or whatever you want to do. I just read comments other people make on other videos that even have nothing to do with comedy. Like, what, what, what are they trying to accomplish? It's just, you know, it's just you either like it or you don't. I've never in my life, even before, even when I was a fan, 
when I, you know, I just don't, it's just not me, but that's I'm that type of dude, you know, I mean, I got, I don't even know any, I don't even have friends that do that. Mm. So I never understood that, you know? Right. I mean, kids do it. If you're 12, it makes sense. You know, you're a little kid. It's, it's your world. I was, I used to cry when uh, Dallas didn't win uh, football games when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Civil, civil discourse on the internet is just a, no, you, you can't have it. So if you're thirty something years old, what the what are you doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> even these even a movie like fair enough, know. yeah, I yeah. Understood. You know, I mean, but it's it's fun to discuss it. It's fun when you get people together that are fans of something and you discuss it. You know what I mean? But that's different to me. That's different. You know. A little bit ago, you mentioned uh, MTV. How did you get featured in a Kesha video, music video? I, uh, the director, man, he reached out to me. He was a fan of comedy. And that guy in the beginning of the video is like a character I would make fun of, which is basically me in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, the, uh, the little duck lips you do before taking a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, somebody asked me just to play that character. So I did. Yeah, it was perfect. It, it was well, cool, though, man. It was cool working with him. How, how did you transition from comedy to, uh, to acting? Um, I think it's all parallel, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you know, I think it's all the same. I think if you're, if certain stand-ups acting can kind of come, don't get me wrong. You've got to really put your time in on it. You know, it's not one of those things you could fake, but I did stand up first before I got into acting. So I'm a much better stand-up than I am an actor, but I did train. I did put time in in the acting as well. Um, I'll tell you the real difficult part, parts auditioning. Hmm. Uh, that's that's harder than actually being on set. But with that being said, um, you know it's something. I, it, it's just everything's parallel. It's like even writing screenplays and stuff. Like you know, I've uh, sold a couple of shows. I've been I've been optioned as a writer. Um, that type of stuff. It, it's it all just it, it's all like the cousin of stand-up comedy. If that makes sense. It it does. It, I mean, that, yeah you, yeah. You you also mentioned uh, auditioning being a difficult process. How was your audition for Cobra Kai, or is that something where did you know like John Hayden and Josh, or did you have an agent that got you that audition? Um, you know, I think I don't know if it was a request. It was definitely through my manager, and I, and the good news is I had just gotten back from Jersey, so <laughs> I had spent. I did. I think that's when I did. I did a theater in Asbury Park. And then one of our internet sponsors is General's Bar and Grill on Seaside Heights. So we went down there, and then I, I was actually hanging with Bear that weekend because he had me open for him on a Friday. And then I did my theater on Saturday. So I was around a lot of Jersey. So when I, and plus I grew up there, you know, I, I don't sound as Jersey. I sound more Jersey away from Jersey because people that aren't familiar with New Jersey, but if, if I'm in New Jersey with other people from New Jersey, I sound like I'm from England. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's how I, I speak proper. So I had, I, it's just, and then I got the audition. I really went right from the plane. And I think it helped me because I was just, I just got back from Jersey and it's Louis LaRusso, you know? But the thing is, uh, I don't like, I didn't, when I went in, I just, I, I don't. I wasn't cartoony with it. You know what I mean. It was more subtle with the audition, and I just think it just timing was perfect. You know, I just got off the plane from New Jersey. I spent a week and a half there. I was hanging out with my friends. I was breaking balls, and then I had a little bit rubbing off on me again. 
And then when I went in, I, didn't, I, I could just be a little bit more myself. And I think coming from there, it just kind of rubbed off. You know, it was just perfect timing. So, well, there's there's a lot to be said about authenticity, really. We, well, pretty much. I mean, for that role, definitely. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's not too far from myself, anyways. But it, it, it just uh, it just worked out that way. I mean, I literally went from the plane to the lot. I was actually wearing like the Lucas Pizza T-shirt when I walked in, <laughs> and literally that's what I was wearing on the plane. It just came together, man. But that was very surreal for me. You know, it was. Uh, if I had a uh, on my bucket list of things, if I was twelve, uh, I've already crossed off wrestling and now being a part of the Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm actually glad that you asked that because I, I, we're about the same age. I think you may be like a year or two older than I am. But growing up, Karate Kid, at least from the perspective of my circle of friends, was like this big, massive movie. It was just like the a, a cultural. Uh, icon did you have any kind of like trepidation or pressure on you realizing that hey i'm picking up this legacy and continuing it or was it just like another gig um no you know at first i viewed it as a gig you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. to be honest with you when i first went in i really didn't know what it was about oh so when i first was going in i'm trying to think if i knew right before or, yeah, it was right before I went in. And it was a continuation of Karate Kid. I just thought, you know, it was something for a YouTube new channel. But it was just a guy from Jersey. Mm. So, and then I think before I went in, my, my manager's like, yeah, this is it. But it, it didn't really, it didn't really bother me as much. I, it was more, I mean, I view it as a job. I've been just doing it so long. But when I was on the set, when the first time they squared up, and... Ralph calls me over and he's like, Hey, Louie, uh, news, come here. Right. And both me and Dan were standing there to see Johnny and, and Ralph. It became really surreal. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I would freak out. Uh, well, you know what, dude, I'll be honest with you, man. I gradually, like I said, I, I became very good friends with Dice. who was an idol of mine. I remember when I was a kid, I stole his Ford Fairlane poster out of the movie theater. Oh, awesome. right? And then one of my best friends who I became very close with and actually spoke at his service was Roddy Piper. And then oh, to, to be friends oh. with Piper was surreal as well. And then to be a part of the Karate Kid was surreal. But I had already had two major surreal experiences as as a fan. You know what I mean? The it, I can't explain it. Like so to be there you didn't it really didn't really dawn on me. And being at the comedy store, being like friends with comics I watched as a kid, you know what I mean? You just like I said, you, you become numb to it. And I got to be honest with you, to be a part of that show, it, it brought me back to why I was uh, an actor. Like it, was, it, was, it made me feel like I was a, like new again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still trying to get over the, uh, the, the idea that you were friends with uh, Roddy Piper. That, that blows my mind. Well, I met him. I, that's one of the few dudes I marked out, man, when I saw him, dude. I mean, I, I didn't know what to say. And I had met other actors before, and not that I didn't care. I just didn't care, you know, not in a in a dickish way. Like, oh, I didn't care who they were. I mean, I just, it didn't, it was like, oh, I'm nice to meet you. And, mm-hmm. you know, but with Piper, when he was at the comedy store the first time, I, I couldn't believe it. No, no. I mean, if anything, I think that man is underrated. Oh, hell yeah, dude. He's, I mean, he's in my top five of all time. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, on air. I mean, as far as heels go, he's probably, I mean, he's got to be number one. I can't think of a, of a worse enemy. I'm I'm struggling to think of, I, I can't think of anyone really. Yeah. I mean, we he, he literally changed the He's the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Joker. He's the ultimate. Yeah. He's the most favorite bad guy. Personality-wise, skills-wise, I mean, on the cuff. Like, he did an intro for my for my website, right? I still have it on my feet. <laughs> um, but when we, we, were work, we were doing a show together, because then me and my buddy Steve Simone started writing, like, trying to help him put his act together. Because we would go and interview him, and we were just trying to get the stories out of him. So we were working with him for a while. And uh, he did an intro for my, for my website. I said, hey, man, you mind doing it? He says, of course. As soon as they said go, he was on. It was one take, and I couldn't believe it, man. I, if you can see the video, you see my face. I'm, I, I'm fucking shocked. Hmm. In fact, the night he passed away, I was in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I was in Madison, Wisconsin. And there's a podcast that they do after the club where they talk about who's like the coolest person in your phone. And I've got a pretty cool phone, like some cool people in there. Mm-hmm. I said, pipe her hands down. It's not even a question. And then no. that was the night he passed away. But I, me and Steve, I was, you know, I was pretty devastated by him. Yeah. I mean, uh, as somebody who met him at conventions, you know, saw him between like panels and signings, uh, even I, I, I was deeply, deeply affected by his passing. And now, like I said, he's arguably, and I would put him in the top two or three wrestlers of all time let alone heel well that that's our that's our list I, my podcast is called you're on the list and mm-hmm. what we do is we list things and we were doing wrestlers and we had him in top five my number one i, I would put him number one for me and i'm not just saying that because he was my friend now if i was a kid as a kid like you know it's again you don't realize stuff until you're a little bit older but to see what piper brought to the game i mean I, as much as we loved hogan as a kid because, you know, he was like, it was like rooting for, I say, you always root for Batman. Mm-hmm. Until you get older, did you really realize how dope the Joker was? Like, it, this is how, the, I mean, Piper made Hogan. I don't think it was the other way around. Oh, 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 absolutely. You know what I yeah. mean? Because if you go back and look at it, the, the Hogan's personality wasn't like, P- Piper was just the ultimate evil guy. Yeah, it's like Piper said, you didn't, you didn't pay to see Hulk Hogan. You paid to see Hulk Hogan beat up Roddy Piper. That's what you pay for, absolutely. So my my side was him. Uh, I got Dusty Rhodes. I love Dusty Rhodes, man. Mm. Uh, As far as interviews go, (laughs) he's the best. Um, Ric Flair, of course. Uh, And then I would put The Rock and Stone Cold. Um, Well, we argued over Andre, because Andre is like, you know, he he was the first. He's the first guy ever into the Pro Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. But, dude, that attitude era was phenomenal man with the rock and stone mm-hmm. cold and yeah Angel yeah absolutely and... yeah i used to love nitro too with goldberg and the outsiders uh, is kevin nash oh <laughs> phenomenal oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> he'd show up drunk he's <laughs> so phenomenal dude i love it. i'm not into it as much anymore though yeah that's that's why i said i'm a lapsed fan you know my my dear friend is in he got back into it He's like, no, it's good. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just that, that attitude. I, I really stopped watching in like 06, 07. I think. Mm, yep. Now, 
we've talked to a lot of uh, different actors. We've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of different actors on uh, this show. And some of them have said that they were allowed to kind of improvise a few lines here and there. Others have been said, have said that, no, they were told to stick to the script. Where do you fall? I mean, what side of the line do you, are, are you on with that? They let me run with it, man. Like, really? Uh, a lot, yeah, a lot of the lines, like the Ghostbusters line, and then there's another one. There's a few that I, that I work with, um, but that's also why he brought me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it wasn't like I, I went far from the script. I mean, if you start, you know, if you start going off a certain way, um, of course they want to they want to bring you in, you know, because there's a purpose for as long as you're not compromising information, you know, that's mm-hmm. you know to the story. But yeah, no, they they they, they let you run with it. I mean, you know that there that any in my opinion, any good director is going to let you know people add something to it. But if it doesn't work, you can't fight for it. You know, yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it's, they hired me to present their vision. So, I mean, there were some things I would say that uh, they would be like, nah, that might be too much, you know, or pull that back a little. But, you know, yeah, no, they let me, they let me riff a little. That is awesome. Awesome. Which is more fun, you know? I, I'm curious, at, at what point did you realize that your character was written to be, you know, the relative of uh, another character that had like one scene in Credit Kid Part 3? Yeah, well, because the, 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 the father died, you're talking about, right? My father, Louis father. Yeah, because we we see him in Karate Kid Part Three just briefly, because that's where Lucille is taking care of him. Did you know from the script early on that you know your Louis Junior that the your father was in the third movie? Yeah, I mean, well, I always knew the name Louis. We we because uh, they mentioned him in one too. You mm-hmm. just don't see him, and then you see him in three. Right. Um, but see, now when Karate Kid came out, man, that, I always said my mom, it reminded me of me and my mom, you know, she's from, we were from Jersey. She was a single mom. We moved down to Florida, you know, um, that always, that, that LaRusso, I always just knew, when I saw Louis LaRusso, I know exactly what it was. like that. We used, always used to do that. My mom, it was ex- almost exactly like that, like, uh, Daniel's mom. Lucille, yeah. Yeah, Lucille in real life. I was going to call her Randy, but Lucille in real life. Like, um, my mom would be definitely when they're like, nice car, Miss Lucille. Hi, boys. And she was just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just as naive as the day is. She still is. What was it like filming um, that that family, I don't know if it was lunch or, or dinner scene, you know, where you guys were in the backyard when Randy does uh, make her appearance? Yeah. Yeah, I, I pick her up. Yeah, well, what was that day like? Um, well, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, uh, now it's now we're trying to make the scene work, but to see her was really cool, man. But I had seen her, I think, the day before we talked in makeup. I think we shot that in two days, if I don't remember. Um, but was what was really cool is is you know, I mean, I'd already been there, for, you know, a few weeks already, so now we just it was just work. But the first day when I saw those two together, now I had briefly uh, met Ralph when I was in beer league. Right. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And he was in it. We had, we had chatted. I didn't think he'd remember me. And then when I came up, he said, dude, I, I, 
you know, he goes, I was looking at IMDb, and then I saw that, and I said, oh, and then I remembered it severely. I said, yeah, we were hanging out at the softball field that one day, and he was talking about directing, and, you know, uh, and then when I was with him on set, just to hear all of his experiences as a trained actor, is, you know, I mean, dude, he's worked with Abelson, Coppola, I mean. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's done a lot, man. So, uh, it was that initial day, though, seeing those two together was really surreal. But then after that, it became a job, you know? Right. But it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, to sit there in the back and then we did a family photo, you know, I'm, I'm forever a LaRusso <laughs> now. So yeah, mark that off the bucket list. <laughs> now, if I can only fight Stallone. That would be nice. You know, maybe we can get something like that in season two. On the topic of a family, the, your character of Louis, he gets on the nerves of Amanda very much so. What what is your relationship like off the camera or you know behind the scenes with Courtney Hangler? I mean, like I said, she she's just all we, she's a very funny person, man. She loves to joke around. Um, yeah, it was it was such a, a good vibe on the set, man. It really was. Which I've been on sets where like you know some people are standoffish, but it was a good time, man. It helps when the showrunners and directors, and I'm not just saying that. That that it all trickles down. So when you have when it's a positive energy from the top, and then the way uh, Billy's at um, Johnny and uh, Ralph, um, the way that they they behave because they're EPs and they're the stars, then they're not having it. You know, everybody gets along, and Courtney was really sweet. It, it was a good time, man. I'm not gonna lie; it's been about 21 years. It's definitely top three things I've ever done, in no particular yeah. order. That the Vince Vaughn tour was was phenomenal. Um, you know, it's just those things that, that, that I'll always, you know, I'll take with me, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we, we, we have a few minutes left and, you know, we'll get ready to wrap up here with uh, a few more questions. Um, I, I got one, uh, you know, Tommy, if, if you have some coming too, but in, in one episode, uh, Louis and Anoush, they, I guess you can call it hazing. There's a little bit of hazing with the character of Robbie. Uh, Tanner Buchanan on set, was there any of that behind the scenes? Him being kind of a, one of the younger castmates? Not at all. That kid, uh, yeah, you can tell me, that kid's going to go places, man. He's a good-looking kid, too, man. No, not, none of the hazing things, man. Just just going to work, dude. Everything was fun, but yeah, none of that. I, well, not to say that there's, you know, nah, none of that. <laughs> Sounds, uh, sounds like there's some uh, was, holding back a little bit I there. <laughs> if I was closer to the kid, like me and me and Dan would joke around a lot, right? Anoush, but we known each like you know we were we we're comics, so we were always screwing around. Like I would take out, um, we would all go out after uh, after the shows and go. Like I did a couple of, I did the comedy clubs there with Dan and the kid Matt Lotman, who was a producer on it. We would hit the clubs, and then I think. Uh, John and Josh and Hayden, we, we all went out one night. I took the, one of the directors out because I, I knew some people in that town. It, it was all love, man. It was a lot of fun. So I had a lot of cities because I've been I've been like 30, 35 cities a year. Mm-hmm. You know what wow. I mean? So And I've been I've been traveling for so long that like at Lane in Nashville, I, I got so many friends in so many different cities just from all the years of doing stand-up and just meeting people after shows and hanging out, you know, and, and, um, 
but there's a lot of towns that are, that are some of my favorites. And one of my dear friends that I knew before I got into comedy owned a nightclub up, up in Atlanta where I actually helped organize the rap party. And um, so I was, we were having fun, man. We were going out, eating at restaurants and stuff. But no hazing, buddy, no hazing. I wish I could tell you. Um, one of the narratives of Cobra Kai as a show from an outside perspective is it's really taken people by surprise just how good it really is. Because, I mean, there's been so many reboots and sequels of properties from the 80s and the 90s that just didn't really live up to the legacy. When did you know that you guys were really onto something? Was it like in the the script reading phase? Was it on the set, or did the reaction kind of take you guys by surprise? Um, dude, I gotta be honest, dude. When when I read the script, I'm like, wow, this is really good. Now, again, man, I, I tend to view things objectively. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of the success was a lot of people were gonna were hating on it before they even there they even heard of it, mm-hmm. right? Even saw it. Yeah, and then for it to be executed the way it was, um, I think the angle that they did it was—I I mean, really, man—they knocked it out of the park. The writers—they knocked it out of the park, man. Oh yeah, yeah. And it became, you know, dude. I, I'm just—I'm just—you know—as an actor, you're bringing something to the character, but you're basically doing what they're asking you to do, and setting up what they're asking you to set up. They're—they're they're already two seasons ahead of you. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. it's all their it's all their vision, and it helps that they were big fans of of the movie. And on top of that, you know they they have they have a comedy background. Yeah. So you know, they, and and also too playing with the perspective of Johnny. I mean, again, it's it's funny, but if you think about it, the, you know, this kid was the villain. He's only sixteen, seventeen in real life. You know, he's just a high school bully. So there's something he's going through and taking that angle, which I think somebody did something on the internet where like, in fact, Daniel was the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot on this show. That's bullshit though. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's bullshit. Um, so the way the guys wrote it and executed it, I mean, it, it, it is, it's beautiful, but it does help that the fans, it's like the kid that did Creed, uh, the kid that directed Creed. Um, he was such a fan of, yeah, he was such a fan of Rocky that he did it right. You know, he didn't take creative liberty. They stayed as true and as possible to the characters. I think that's what people want to see. I, I always hate when there's a reboot or a remake and they just want to do something that had nothing to do with the story. You could still be a genius taking... I think it's even harder to take someone else's creation and stick with it and then make it unique like these guys did than it is to take something that already has a history and then say, well, I'm going to add something my own and not even, and mess up the formula. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 yeah, Because I've seen the exact opposite so many times where the, you know, I always think of like the total recall reboot or, you, you know, name, name your choice where they try to take an old property and they just don't really know what to do with it. Whereas with this, I I could tell it was made by first and foremost fans that loved the original movies. And and the other thing too, is that it was their idea. So it was like, they've been wanting to do this because I had them on my podcast. They were talking about it, but they were putting this together for years. They they had a vision with it. And Mm -hmm. uh, again, man, I think there's, it's the perfect storm. I think, 
it's people wanting not to like it, it being as good as it is. Then you have the nostalgia with it. When I took my wife, she's not a fan of the karate kid. She didn't know anything about it. When we went to the premiere, she was, I was invested as a fan of the movie and for the nostalgia of it. And I love the 80s stuff with Johnny, you know, just the way he is and coming up in that era. You know, it, it was, it reminded you. And my, my wife was invested in the kids. She loved the kids. Yeah, yeah. Not that she didn't like Ralph and, and, and Johnny like that, but I'm saying she was really, the, the kids, the, the, we keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting The kids are knocking out of the fucking park. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. If, if they could have dropped the ball anywhere, it was with those characters, but they, they nailed them. Dude, everything was, I mean, everything from soup to nuts. With the exception of Dan, who he, I knew she, he was okay, but everybody <laughs> else, <laughs> Dan was alright. You you mentioned your podcast. Uh, can you talk about it and where listeners could uh, check that out? Um, I also want to pimp out. You know, if anybody has has the time, check out the uh, principal's office. Uh, it's a, a thing you did on YouTube. It's it's amazing. I hadn't chuckled like that in so long. Very relatable material there. And also maybe something that you can plug for uh, something upcoming that listeners can, maybe if they're in the area, go check you out at. Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, the You're On The List podcast is a, um, we just list things. I've been doing it for like four years. It's on all things comedy. Um, but you can get it on, uh, what is it, iTunes, where you can, you know, it's just, we just, we just argue dumb shit, man. <laughs> we list things. You know, I mean, really, we're at like, I don't know how many episodes already, and we're running out of things to list. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we've done everything from like top 10 freestyle artists to top 10 colognes of all time. <laughs> you, know what, you know what number one was, cologne, right? Take a guess. Was it Dracoir Nor? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you do CVB, you knew you were going to get your car. <laughs> Fucking strong to this day. <laughs> Number two was Old Spice. As, please tell me Brute by Fabergé was not on that list. Number three was very strong, though. Number three mm. was uh, Cold Water. Oh, yeah. And then Aqua de Guido. That's what I used to wear. Yeah, you were. <laughs> Remember Yoop? Yoop, whatever that was. Mm, you that? No. I think... No? Uh, my thing was Fucking um Mizuaki, yeah. uh, s- s- didn't I, let me see. Honestly, Cold I was water. always an old an English leather guy, but that was just because that's what my dad used when I was growing up. English leather, Jesus. English <laughs> leather, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was Aqua right. de Guido, Aqua de Gio, Cool Water, Aqua de Gio, anyway, yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pronounce it right. We, I don't even know. I just called it your car. You were like, like you knew how to say it. <laughs> it did you have any um, any sets coming up? Uh, I know you're in Florida right now, but you got anything coming up in the near future you can uh, discuss? You know, yeah. Uh, next set? Uh, oh, at the end of the month, April 26th, I'm going to be in Vegas for the Zappos uh, Festival. Wow. That's pretty much it, but Check out the special. I'll post everything. But if you want to check out the principal's office, we're up to almost 400,000 views now, man. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, stand-up, co- stand-up comedy review, just put it like top five specials. I'm pretty proud of it because I put it out there for free. Didn't make really any money on it, but I did it on purpose, you know, for the whole sake of wanting people to see it. You know what I mean? 
It's yeah, worth the yeah. time. It is definitely worth the time. It's a lot of laughs. And um, and I'm also hosting a show called The Blue Gentleman Show. Uh, we shoot in Vegas. It's at the sports book. It's a gambling show disguised as a mental lifestyle show. <laughs> but it's uh, go to the dgshow.com, D as in degenerate, G as in gentleman show.com. And then check out season two of Cobra Kai. And that concludes our conversation with Mr. Brett Ernst. I uh, hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to that and learned a few things about the man. All right. Now, Peter, be honest. You don't have a clue who New Jack is, do you? Uh, that, isn't that a type of R&B music? New Jack Swing? <laughs> no, no. New Jack is a very, very scary, scary dude. Not a type of and cheese. The fact that, type of Jack cheese. The fact that this guy hung with New Jack, if, if, even for a little while... He he has credibility in my book. Uh, compare this this person that you speak of to somebody I may know from the uh, Credit Kid universe. Uh, imagine Dutch with a knife and no conscience. That's pretty scary. That's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, if if anything, you know, for the listeners to take from this uh this this interview, he has a lot of material on YouTube. Just you know, if if you yeah. are down, he his jokes are super hilarious. He is somebody Johnny Lawrence would watch. Yeah, honestly, I I'd be really interested to see. Uh, he mentioned that he he's getting into writing a, a television show or or some project. I'm really to see what becomes of that because I mean the guy has a fascinating mind. Yeah, I mean the comedic time. He he said what he's been doing comedy for like 21 years. That's a yeah. long ass time. Yeah. You know, he's been doing this longer than a lot of the cast members from Cobra Kai had even been born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and also he's got the podcast and, and all that other stuff, too. No, I mean, it, it seems like, I mean, he is just, I mean, he seems like one of the busier people we've talked with, really. Yeah. I mean, and it, it continues to be the case for him, you know, a little inside baseball. We were actually supposed to interview him yesterday in in real time. <laughs> in real time, we were supposed to interview him yesterday but you know as things happen with working people some things get in the way and they have to reschedule so um, we were lucky very lucky to have him able to even reschedule with us the, the following day yeah yeah not to fall back on the wrestling jargon again but i'm going to introduce you to a phrase peter and that phrase is marking out uh-huh. Is this a, wrestlers, a thing teachers do, you, you know, when they're grading tests? No, no, no. no. Okay. Wrestlers call fans marks because it, it, it's a big con. You know, you're, you're, you're fooling people. The people that you perform to are the marks. And okay. when a fan gets really invested and excited about what you're presenting, they are marking out. I oh, totally kind, marked kind of out on this interview. And, I got you. Yeah, I gotcha. yeah. Okay. I marked out on this Fan interview. Fanboying out, perhaps. Yeah, it, exactly. Sure. Yes, yes, okay. yes. But I, okay. I just wanted to continue the wrestling theme. I got because you. I got gotcha. you. That was awesome. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, look, I, I'll be honest. I, I was happy for you, Tom. I, I know how much you love wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was extremely happy for you. I go, hey, you, Tom understands what's going on. 
So <laughs> meanwhile, you're just hearing gibberish and foreign talk in the background. You have no idea what's going on. That that that's not true. There's a few words I understood. Um, the, of, those were words. <laughs> I understood that. <laughs> At some point, a combination of those words, in other words, weren't you know coherent for me. You, you, <laughs> I, you knew who Roddy Piper was. Yes, yes, I have heard he, that. Man's he was name. the guy yes. that wore the skirt. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, that's that's pretty much it. I, I really do hope you guys go back and check out some of his stuff. Uh, we're definitely looking yeah, forward for more yeah, things. definitely look funny, mm-hmm. funny, dude. And, uh, you know, a, a, as of right now, there has been nothing official about Louis LaRusso. But, you know, in my opinion, the, the last time we saw him, I don't think his story is over either. So, Oh, he, he, ha- he has to answer for the burned out car. He does. You know, Daniel is... We got sassy Daniel in season two is what it looks like. He is yeah. mad. Uh, it, it, he might as well be John Wick. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It, it's still <laughs> Daniel we're talking about here. But um, I'm looking forward and crossing my fingers that we get uh, some more Louie, you know, in season two. So there you go. Um, Tom, now we do this Cobra Kai show. Uh, there are many ways people can find us. And I think I keep forgetting to do this, but we also have a new phone number, uh, that I will start oh. including, yeah, in the show notes. So it's, um, uh, I have to kind of do it off memory, but it's 818-465-8684. I chose that number because 8684 is kind of the release year for Credit Kid 2 and then Credit Kid 1. Nice. And then, nice. you know, the, the first six numbers were just kind of, what was available. I went with 818 because that's Reseda. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So we have a phone number that if you guys want to call and leave us a message, you can do that. Uh, We have the amazing group page we often talk about. You just search on Facebook, group. You spell out the words period. You can also find us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram, Podcast. And uh, that's going to do it for that stuff. But Tom, where can listeners find you if they want to hear, you know, maybe some stuff about comic books or interviews with people in that field? Well, uh, I am the co-host and uh, quote-unquote showrunner of a little podcast called Jake and Tom Conquer the World. We talk about everything from... uh, comic books to movies to television shows to what would you do if you could abuse time travel uh we are on facebook at jake and tom conquer the group and you can find me on twitter at the drunken dork all right and for me if you guys are into retro movie reviews i also host another podcast called podstalgic that too is on instagram and twitter at podstalgic and that's going to do it. I want to thank everybody for your guys' continued support. If you're a newer listener, or hell, if you've been listening to us for a while and have an iPhone, please consider taking a couple minutes going into Apple Podcasts and leaving us a star rating. That will really help out the show. Uh, season 2 is right around the corner, and the more reviews and ratings we get, the higher we stay up on the ranks and people can find us. So if you think that we are really worth people's time, um, just do us that little favor. That would really help us out. Oh, plus, it gives us that nice, warm, and fuzzy feeling whenever we hear nice things about uh, the work we do. Yeah, it's a little pat on the back. So, uh, Yeah, it, it, real quick, just in case I've gone a couple episodes without saying it, uh, I, I want to thank everybody in our Facebook group, everybody yes. who's ever left a review. I, I don't think that we would be 
as vigorous with our content if it weren't for the support that we're getting. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. I echo that sentiment. Almost said reciprocate. Uh, you know I'm bad with words. <laughs> so um, that's going to do it <laughs> for this That's episode. where I step in. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. So we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.